Assalamu alaikum jamian. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to our last episode of season one podcast, Ask a Doctor. Your host, Dr. Alanis Abahleka, with you today. And we have to welcome our special guest, Dr. Nahida Ahmed, who is a consultant psychiatrist in Saha. So good morning, doctor. How are you doing? Good morning, Dr. Thank you for having me again. Yes, I'm thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And today uh, we're going to talk about eating disorders. So, uh, Dr. Nahida, can you tell us what is eating disorders? Sure. Uh, eating disorder is something that's so common and so poorly understood, and something that requires such a uh, so much of awareness and people to be educated more about. And I'm really grateful for you for taking, uh, you know, this using your platform to bring to our attention um, what eating disorders are and to educate people more about the disorderly eating. So in short, uh, eating disorders could be a, a spectrum like any other illness. So you have disordered ways of eating. These are bad coping mechanisms. These are maladaptive, uh, you know, distorted behaviors. Whereas uh, you on the other spectrum, on the extreme, you have the illnesses of eating disorder, like which require treatment, which require proper uh, attention and medical and clinical uh, support. So the, the fact that most people don't understand uh, or are not aware of is that eating disorders are most lethal uh, when they are in the severe forms. Like uh, we have examples of anorexia, which is six times more lethal than the general population uh, when people are anorexic. So uh, it is something not to be taken uh, with uh, ease. If people, when they find their, their uh, loved ones or relatives and friends having disorderly eating, uh, don't be dismissive of it. Talk about it and definitely bring into attention what eating disorders can um, do to you. So it could be potentially fatal. You would be saving a life if you address it in time and if you brought um, them the right support and the right treatment they needed. Um, in short, eating disorder is like an obsession with food or weight or the shape and size. So basically many times people are obsessed with uh, what they're eating. They have this false um, distorted way of thinking that they're eating too much or that they are too fat. Uh, they could be, uh, on the contrary, extremely thin or cachectic, but still they have this, um, you know, false perception of being over overweight. Uh, sometimes it's also this, uh, the stress on the body shape and uh, the, the stress, the, you know, the cultural stress basically on how you have to look how you have to behave and what you can wear and what you cannot wear. These are all the constraints that push people more and more into um, body dysmorphia and eventually perpetuates into eating, uh, disorderly eating. We have different forms of eating disorders. Uh, people could be, uh, you know, restrictive eating wherein they don't eat at all. Where, and then there could be bulimia where they eat and then they throw up. And then there's binge eating disorder wherein people go on binges. They eat for uh, as emotional eating, which people know in common terms. So there are different forms of eating disorders too. So um, I, I suggest once you've, rec you've recognized somebody having any form of distortion from the norm, uh, get help. It's always helpful to seek uh, a, you know, so a professional help to understand what's wrong, what other ways they can help each other uh, and help themselves to uh, get to the normal patterns of and normal behavior of healthy lifestyle. 
Thank you, Dr. Anahida. And I want to ask you actually, um, is the, um, what, what's the difference between an eating disorder and emotional eating? Because I understand that a lot of people, probably even me, myself, we do have an image concern. We always want to be our best and, uh, or when we are stressed, we might eat more and so on. So how does the eating disorder uh, differ from the emotional um, eating? Uh, so, Dr. Emotional eating is uh, more of a, a comforting uh, mechanism. So, when I'm stressed, uh, I turn to something that brings me comfort. Now, in certain cases, it could be, uh, you know, different things. So, uh, you know, it's it's almost like a response to stress. How we are going to bring down our stress? People swim, people jog, people exercise, people binge watch TV, and some people binge eat. And some of the patterns of uh, comfort food eating are associated with emotional relationship to the food. Like Masalan, if I have uh, uh, an affinity to a certain type of food that my mother made or something that somebody made for me, which put me to comfort, I would tend to eat that more. Uh, for example, in my case, personally, I love Ben & Jerry's ice cream because it brings back to me the feeling like I'm with my children enjoying a good scoop of ice cream. So when I'm stressed, I turn to ice cream. So every, each one of us has this uh, comfort food which brings down the stress level. And uh, the, what happens is not just bringing down the, the, the stress, it also is giving you a dopaminergic surge. And with the increase in dopamine, there is a constant you know, increase in serotonin, which makes this habit forming uh, more, uh, more persistent. So this keeps, it becomes a voracious circle. So you, once you are stressed, you turn to your comfort food and that uh, in turn uh, embeds in your brain as a, you know, a neural pathway for comforting. The, uh, the problem that comes with comfort eating is that sometimes when the stress is too much and we are overdoing the comfort eating, we tend to have uh, you know, lifestyle issues. We tend to put on weight, we could, uh, you know, we could negatively affect our uh, health and so as to say. So, um, we have to be very mindful. Comfort eating is uh, not necessarily a disorder or an illness, uh, but we have to be mindful of what, how much are we indulging into. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Nahida, for the clarification. And I would want to know now, um, because you said that the eating disorder can actually be serious and even lethal. Um, so how common actually is eating disorders? Um, is it common in a certain category? Is it in a certain gender? Can you expand on that? Sure. Eating disorder has been noted that to be more common and prevalent among women. It's two and a half times more in women than men. And that's obviously uh, understandably because of the cultural uh, you know, restrictions women have to face. You know, you have to be a certain body size, you have to be a certain figure. Um, so these are the cultural probably even... Uh, um, the environment and the family is imposing on them. So uh, one of those reasons why women tend to have more of eating disorders. The second thing is uh, lethality wise, it, it has a lot of um, repercussions on your health. Like suppose, uh, let's say if it's anorexia nervosa, there's not a system in your body that doesn't get affected from your bones to your kidney, to your heart and you know the, the purging and the laxative abuse and, uh, having again effect on your kidneys and there's a lot of compromise um, that comes on your um, on your overall medical health, which predisposes to you to an early death. Um, again, in pregnancy, women we, we see a lot of uh, small for gestational age birth uh, children, uh, uh, miscarriages, 
a lot of women have, um, you know, different medical issues, even cardiac issues for that matter with anorexia. So anorexia, it's not just restricting of the food that's killing you as much as the repercussions of these restrictions and bad poor nutrition and, uh, you know, disorderly uh, behaviors. Also, the other thing to notice is that uh, a lot of them, uh, I think it, when it comes to depression, it's more than 60% of the time they have coexisting depression. About 20, 25% of bipolars are known to have eating disorders. So the, the comorbid psychiatric illness itself can predispose them to suicidality and self-injurious behaviors. So there are a lot of, um, it, it comes almost like a spectrum with medical, psychiatric, and the eating behaviors. Uh, which predisposes them to uh, to dying early and uh, poor lifestyle, basically. So it, it's very important when we start noticing that uh, this is something that's so prevalent, especially in adolescence. It's one of the it's rated the third actually third and uh, the top three illnesses that the adolescents suffer. So it's something that we need to pay more attention to. I think schools and um, you know parents should more pay more effort into incorporating into the children's education system and their routine and behavior and understanding. Um, majority of the time, it stems in the in the adolescent and the teenage age group. So past fifteen to twenty one is the the most when you start building these kind of behaviors. So if we uh, target that population and start noticing the pattern and start addressing why this is happening or putting them through counseling and therapy in right time, uh, we would be saving many lives. Um, Doctora, actually, I think that what you have mentioned is very important, especially nowadays where there is um, an increased interest, especially in social media and following, you know, role models, supermodels. Um, everybody's became um, image oriented, um, I say most of the people. Um, how is the effect of the social influence on increasing the incidence of eating disorders, especially in the region? Sure. Uh, I mean, the short answer to that is it's tremendously influencing it. Uh, we have a lot of uh, young teenage girls going into this uh, disorderly eating and bad lifestyles. Uh, the other thing that uh, we need to address here is they are not just doing this because of the social, um, you know, there is a certain expectation when it comes to their body shape or size, but also it is a form of, uh, you know, coping with the stresses at home. So these days, what we oftentimes notice is that the engagement between parents and children is not as it used to be before, or the relationships are not as uh, as close knit, and the communications is so so many times so difficult between a teen and their parents because of the change in views or because it's like, you know, we've exponentially changed when it comes to generation to generation, the, just the cultural and the social norms have changed a lot. Uh, so these uh, lapses in the relationships are one of the reasons why people, the children these days are, uh, you know, adapting to these kind of mal um, uh, behaviors and uh, trying to get, um, you know, comfort through bad habits, basically, so as to say. So it, it's very important to notice not just that what kind of exposure we are giving our children through social media or the cultural um, you know, the, the communities we hang out with, but also how much we interact with them, how much time we spend with them and what kind of message are we conveying to them and to have that open discourse. Like, you know, there are many a times when I have patients come into my clinic, the mothers are often complaining, Victoria, in my time, my mother would have just 
asked me to be quiet and I would do it and they would be dismissive and they would be so authoritative. Why can't I do this with my children? So what we learn from our parents is not going to work with what we're going to do for our children. And we have to understand that. I mean, I think all of us are in the same age group where we are having kids in tweens and heading into teens. Um, it's a very crucial point for us to understand that our teenage ages are not the same as today's generation and we need to have an open and a uh, you know a broad-minded conversation with them uh, and talk to them about healthy habits healthy habits are so important to be incorporated as early as you know childhood uh, because that goes on to building a character building a coping mechanism which would be more uh, in the long run helpful for them Thank you, Dr. Nahid, and I totally agree with you that this age is where we need to talk to our kids and listen to them as well. Um, and, and when it comes to this, Dr. Um, eating disorder, sometimes they refer to it as the uh, secret illness or uh, silent illness because um, the, the person would tend or the patient would tend to actually hide what they are actually doing away from their uh, parents or even friends. So those who may have um, binging uh, episodes, they will binge alone or they will eat alone. And those who want to go and, you know, um, vomit what they have eaten, they will again go to their own bathroom and so on. So is there like um, a little signs, um, other than what you have said about um, being obsessed with their image and their weight, that we, as a parent, we need to um, explore or look for? So they, when it comes to an illness, there are flanks, uh, you know, symptoms which can be evident. Uh, that's an interesting question, Victoria, because as you mentioned, it is a hidden illness. Many a times parents don't notice it because they are, it's done in such a subtle manner, especially if it's like bulimia, where uh, children tend to eat and then they throw up in their privacy. Uh, one of the things that I tell the mothers who come into my clinic to be mindful about is uh, to know the eating patterns, to eat together. You know, one of the things that we don't do these days oftentimes because of the kind of work schedules we have and the, the, the amount of things we do in a day, we tend to confine ourselves and eat alone. And so are the children doing the same. You know, they're online schoolings because of COVID and they tend to take their plates with them. Their breakfasts are with them on in their, uh, you know, in their confinement. So... Uh, my, uh, you know, uh, my advice to all parents is to observe when children eat and eat together. Get them engaged into meal preparations. Uh, get them engaged into setting up the table. Talk to them about, you know, eating should be uh, a, a, a period where the family comes together, the interactions are positive, the, uh, the, you know, there's a positive exchange of um, whatever topics are being discussed. So that way the children are not associating the food as, this is giving me comfort, this is bringing me comfort, or this is something that I have to do right now because I'm stressed. So it, it's a more relaxed, the, 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 the environment that you set up for, while you eat is how you're going to uh, engage in eating, right? So if you are, um, you know, if you're not having conflicts, if you're not, if you're watching over what kind of food you're serving the children, don't always go for fast foods and, you know, takeouts or, food rich in carbs because food rich in carbs tend to give comfort by uh, virtue of being you know uh, so dopaminergic and stuff so the uh, parents have to be mindful about these um, subtle signs like what how much portions are the children eating what kind of food are they picking on the table 
what kind of dialogue are they eat, having while they eat. And at the same time, uh, when they go into the extremes of like purging, there are some obvious signs. Like for example, um, with anorexia, it's very straightforward. P children lose weight uh, exponentially very, very soon. And then they still tend to express that, oh, I'm overweight. They could be going downhill with their BMI, but they would still be con conscious and stating, I'm really too fat. I, I really need to lose more weight. So that is one of the indicators. The other one is uh, with bulimia and purging type of uh, bulimia. We've noticed that there will be some signs, some obvious signs on their um, fingers, in the back of their fingers and the knuckles when they try to uh, you know, purge themselves. There will be um, deficiencies, of course. Their health will not be as uh, you know, up to the mark as it's supposed to be uh, because of the nutritional deficiencies. So parents being more um, involved and more mindful of the changes in their children's behavior in terms of eating, in terms of engagement with food is, is something that, uh, that would help us identify uh, the so-called silent illness. Thank you, Dr. Nahida. And I think the establishing a good relationship uh, with food is important. Um, so this actually brings me to another question that I've received from the audience. Does eating disorders require medication? And if yes, uh, what kind of medication is it required? Okay. Uh, like any other illness, Dr. Like I mentioned earlier, this could be disordered behavior. And then there is eating disorder, frank eating disorder, which, uh, which uh, you know, meet the criteria for illness. Um, now, if somebody is going through the route of anorexia and bulimia nervosa, obviously we have to intervene and many a times, not just psychiatric intervention in terms of medication, but also medical. Um, sometimes we've had to bring patients against their will into the hospitals as well. Uh, majority of the times, as I mentioned earlier, there is a comorbid uh, depression or anxiety associated with it. So antidepressants are our first line um, of treatment. But having said that, uh, medication is not always the only thing that works. So it is a very multidisciplinary approach when a person is diagnosed with eating disorder. So you have a dietitian, you have a pediatrician, you have a, you know, a psychologist that basically is a big part. Um, and of course, the psychiatrists uh, get involved in this. And if they have any other comorbid medical issues that have uh, cropped up because of the disordered eating, then like a cardiologist or nephrologist also have a play. So uh, majority of the times to answer your question, it is uh, SSRIs are the first line drugs. We have used uh, antipsychotics like olanzapine sometimes to in small doses because it stimulates uh, appetite and it, it helps with the perceptual distortions. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's not simple as yes, medications will fix it. It has to be a group um, of physicians and clinicians uh, in allied health taking part in, uh, in helping this individual. Thank you, Doctora. And I believe, as you said, that it is a, a multi-effort. So it's not only medication, it needs the psychologist, psychiatrist, the social worker, the family as well, definitely. Um, and I, I also received a question about antidepressants, since you mentioned that. Does antidepressants cause weight gain by itself if somebody's taking it for an, another reason um so what, what's the answer for that uh majority of the antidepressants are known to cause weight gains but then we we also do have weight neutral and then weight uh minimizing antidepressants so it depends on the class of antidepressants like if you go to 
bupropion, which is a unicyclic, it tends to, it's a, a stimulant, so it decreases appetite and you lose weight. On the other hand, if you go to remeron, which is mirtazapine, which is again from the same class, it increases appetite and gains weight. Um, and some of the SSRIs are very notorious when it comes to weight gain. Yeah, so um, majority of the times our patients have endorsed increase in weight gain as the reason that they want to stop medications. So antidepressants, yeah, are uh, known to cause weight. Great. Um, another question that I have received, and probably we've mentioned that earlier on, is when it comes to eating disorder, there's definitely a social influence. Um, is there a genetic component? Are there people who are more at risk of getting eating disorders? You know, I've tried to look up uh, data on the genetic predisposition, and frankly, there is nothing that says genetically you're predisposed, but it does tend to run in families, and I'm assuming it's because of the cultural background of the family. So if your mother is somebody who's obsessed about the weight and the size and the figure and has a disorderly way, a practice of eating behaviors, uh, it's quite obvious that the children would tend to have a similar thing. So yeah, there is a familial disposition, but not as much as genetic data saying, okay, there are twin studies. Um, I, I have not found any data that correlates. That, that's a good um, observation, Doctor. And I believe that one of the things that as a parent, we need to accept our children. Um, there are some parents that are kind of hard on their kids and they tell them to lose weight and to go on diets and so on. So um, I think, as you said, mentioning healthy habits rather than restricted diet is important uh, during raising children. Um, Doctora, I also received a question. So we have a person, for example, that have, uh, have the symptoms and signs suggesting that he has an eating disorder. How can we convince him that this is something that needs to be treated and what to do if they are not willing to get uh, treatment? Um, that's very interesting and that's a challenge we face very often. Uh, many of the people who believe, uh, who are involved in these kind of disorderly eating are not accepting help. They don't believe they are having any problem. Like I said, even when they are losing weight and their BMI is falling down, they tend to believe that they are still um, you know, they are healthy and they are, and then they're just overweight, for example. So uh, to convince them, you have to address their uh, distortion, basically. Uh, they, you have to address the cognition uh, and, and provide logical thinking to them. So it's, it's basically goes down to the realms of psychotherapy, the CBT and the CAT. There's something called psychoanalytical therapy that's applied quite often in, um, in eating disorders. Uh, and before, prior to person reaching a psychologist or even a, a, a admitting to the psychologist, that's where the real challenge comes. So I, I think uh, talking down, uh, talking to a person uh, who is close to you and who, especially now, you, oftentimes it's a parent having a conversation with a child, uh, uh, it, it requires a lot of you know uh, tricks into, into what kind of conversation and where do you begin and how do you show them the reality. Uh, if you're having difficulty addressing it with your child straight away, maybe uh, the parent can seek help from a counselor and talk about what are the ways I can talk to my child. Um, oftentimes, the child should be willing to at least give it a try when the parent is convincing and they have a good relationship. If the child and the parent are, you know, they're bonded well 
And the mother thinks that, you know, hey, look, I think you need some help or this is not what people tend to do normally. This is something out of the norm. Um, if the parent, the bond between them is good and their interaction and communication is good, the child instantly says, yes, let's um, let's prove you wrong or let's take a, uh, you know, a test or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's not easy. I, I totally agree with that. And I think um, that's where uh, the parents uh, need to talk to their children. And, um, and, and when you are listening to the other and accepting them and um, hearing for them, maybe it would make uh, things um, easier in that sense. Uh, Dr. Nahida, uh, we, we are almost uh, towards the end of the, our episode, but what one advice you want to give to the audience who are listening uh, to us today um, uh, about eating disorders? Sure. Uh, one of the things that comes up very often when I see patients or friends or family members is uh, food addiction. We are trying to take our food as drugs because we are all stressed, no matter what background we are coming from. Even if we are stay-home moms, there is immense amount of stress these days as it used to be maybe decades ago. So uh, try to be mindful of not reaching out to food as your drug of choice, because then you get into that voracious cycle of, yes, I'm stressed, let me eat and I feel better. And then the, food, the cycle continues. You know, you once you start feeling better, then it, it becomes a habit. Uh, so try to adapt good coping skills, like, you know, healthier coping skills. Um, be mindful of what, you, what your food intake is. Uh, be mindful of your exercises, how much you exercise, how much you know, physical activity you have, uh, mitigate your stresses, ma make sure that they are starting, you know, you apply some uh, good uh, resources to bring down your stress on a day-to-day -day basis. So basically it all comes down to uh, stress management. The better you get at stress management, the less your predisposition to eating disorders. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Nahidan. So it was a pleasure to have you with us uh, today. And I would like also to thank all the audience who have been listening. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed it and benefit from the session. Um, and hopefully we'll see you in the next season. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.